0: Morning Glory and Evening Grace America, it's Hugh Hewitt. It is the last radio hour of the week. And that means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues of the Great Works and Men and Women of Western Civilization are available at Hugh4Hillsdale.com. And you can also find all of the Hillsdale free courses at Hillsdale.edu. You can sign up for the free speech digest in Primus there. And once a week, I sit down with Dr. Larry Arn or one of his fine colleagues on the Hillsdale faculty to talk about one of those works or people. And this week, we don't have Dr. Arn, but we have Dr. Paul Ray returning. Paul Ray is also a fellow. At the Hoover Institution, extraordinarily prolific, and I'm kind of happy because we got to make up some. We got to make up for an error here, uh, and that's this. Uh, Paul Ray, welcome back. It's good to talk to you, Professor.
1: Hi, it's good to be with you. By the way, I'm no longer at Hoover. I, I was a National Fellow last year. It's a one-year thing,
0: and so you've returned to Michigan. Is it
1: cold there? Is it? Is it's it bleak? lovely. It's 71 degrees. Uh, it's uh, Michigan in this season can be. Absolutely stunning, and and it is right now.
0: Are you back in the classroom? Are you refreshed and re-energized after a year in California?
1: Yes, I'm always happy to be back in the classroom after leave. Uh, You know, writing is a lonely task, and I like getting to it. But I get antsy after a while, so it's it's nice seeing students again.
0: So you know how our dialogues work. What you may not know is we spent the last five weeks on Shakespeare with Professor Smith and Doctor Arn for most of those. But we why had did, gone. Why did
1: you ever give up Shakespeare?
0: Well, we we, had to, we only had five weeks, and we do have to finish by the end of this year. But then I put a halt to the the schedule and said we skipped over the man that I began. My life as a uh, a senior in serious writing, uh, Montana, because I had to spend my, my senior essay on essay 26 friendship. Let's stop and go find someone who can write about him. I and I don't know if you're one of the Montagna pronouncers or one of the Montane pronouncers. There's a division in the world. But they said, Paul Ray will do it. And then they send me this, this essay you wrote, Don Corleone, Multiculturalist, which is in fact about essay 26. I find this remarkable and wonderful. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I wrote that some years ago for a conference, and someday I may do a collection of essays. Oh. And the title will be uh, Don Corleone, Multiculturalist and Other Essays.
0: And Other Essays. Well, it's a beautiful piece on friendship. But let's start by telling people why it would be wrong to proceed for the next 500 years from Shakespeare without pausing uh, to talk about the Frenchman.
1: Well, the part of the story is Shakespeare read the Frenchman. We, we, you know, it was translated in English right away, and Shakespeare draws on him, especially in the Tempest. Uh, but uh, the other reason is Montaigne. Everyone reads him in the sixteenth, uh, seventeenth, and eighteenth centuries. He's 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 a dominant figure. Uh, he invents what we call the essay, which in French it means an attempt. And we still have that meaning in in English as well. And he writes a massive book of charming essays, attempts, and he insinuates a new world view. Uh, so it's extraordinarily important.
0: It is the only book that has been on my bedside stand for 40 years. And the and I have the Donald Frame edition. Is that the one you use?
1: I have it in my lap.
0: All right. So you and I have the same book in our lap so we can go to the same page. Donald Frame did an amazing thing. And we often don't speak much of translators. But no one's really going to beat this, are they?
1: No. Uh, look, I have the Screech as well. And Screech was a very great uh, Montaigne scholar. He actually found Montaigne's copy of Lucretius with Montaigne's notes in it uh, when he was having dinner with someone. Uh, he found it in his library. Huh. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I know Screech. Um, uh, he was at All Souls College, Oxford, when, when, when I was there as a visiting fellow. But Screech is uh, it's not very literal. And Donald Frame is extremely careful. So if you sit down with the French on one side and the frame on the other hand, you'll discover that uh, very rarely does he go wrong.
0: Now, the first major uh, introduction I want to give to people is is Montaigne wrote, and we'll use Montaigne as opposed to Montaigne. My tutor, John Gibbons, made me say Montaigne for an entire year, so pardon <laughs> me if I go backwards. Book one of the essays has got 57 essays. Book two of the essays has got 37 essays, and book three has 13 my tutor paid a lot of attention to numbers and ordering. Do you, Paul Ray, when you approach Montaigne?
1: I do exactly the same thing. So, for example, um, I have in front of me uh, the table of contents, and if you go through Book One, the central essay—you know, the, all all three books uh, have um, uh, are, are odd numbered, and the central essay in Book One is uh, Chapter Twenty Nine. Uh, which is 29 sonnets of Etienne de la Boise, who was his closest friend. So he honors him by giving him the central space, okay. you know, just as you would put a, a throne of the great king in the center, and you would put uh, his wife on one side, and on the other side you might put his heir and his son.
0: Now, it's interesting that you would read it that way. Uh, the conclusion that my colleague Gibbons came to is that he left it empty that he wouldn't put his own stuff there, that there wasn't something central to his life that he wanted to write about. And he he read into that some thoughts on religion that were perhaps not orthodox for the time.
1: Uh, Well, he certainly was not orthodox. Uh, But if you look at book two, the central chapter is of freedom of conscience. Exactly. Uh, A matter of great concern to this man who's writing in the midst of the wars of religion in France, in which he plays a very important role.
0: And then book three, the central essay of the disadvantage of greatness, yes. which may be a little bit of a poker tell as to how he assumes himself to to, to shine.
1: Yes, and it's also, look, he's, he's deeply worried about one thing, I think, that runs through the whole book, and that is the manner in which our aspirations and our spiritedness uh... get out of hand i I have in front of me essay number three where he says we are never at home we are always beyond uh... we live outside ourselves uh... and if you turn to of experience which is one of the last essays, he says uh... they want to get out of themselves and escape from the man that is madness instead of changing into angels they change into beasts instead of raising themselves they lower themselves these transcendental humors uh, frighten me like lofty and inaccessible places uh, it's
0: it the, the whole book is full of this and that's so the first question is someone listening they go home and they order Donald Frame's edition of montaigne and it shows up and it's a bookstop of a book how would you counsel them to read it i do not believe in reading front to start uh, front to back in in this but how would you counsel them
1: um I would read initially. Eventually, I'd read front to back. But I, I would read one essay at a time. Um, you have it by your bedstand. It's a good thing to have by your bedstand. Uh, a lot of the essays are fairly short. And you can sort of read one, mull over it, and fall asleep. Yep. Uh, and I, I would, of uh, friendship, um, I think, is extremely important. Yep. Um, there's one called Of Cruelty. And I it's very interesting that one. because okay. it's mostly about virtue, and its theme is that the aspiration to virtue—and he has Cato in mind—to commit suicide rather than submit to Caesar—the aspiration of virtue is rooted in a kind of cruel, cruelty of um, uh, experience. I think is a, is a wonderful essay. Uh, let me read you another passage. It is an absolute perfection and virtually divine to know how to enjoy our being rightfully. We seek other conditions because we do not understand the use of our own and go outside of ourselves because we do not know what it is like inside. Yet there's no use our mounting on stilts, for on stilts we must still walk on our legs. And on the loftiest throne in the world, we are still sitting only on our own rump. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a kind of deflation that he aims at. Um, Come Home. You know, it's a book about coming home to oneself.
0: It is also a a book that is earthy in in that all of the natural functions are often discussed. And it's (laughs) also a a book that is stunning in how much he knew. I mean, he just had everything committed to that brain of his.
1: Yes. And, you know, he he was reared uh, speaking Latin. So his first language is Latin. Uh, and, and the consequence is he read all of the classical sources in Latin uh, with the greatest possible ease. And he seems to have remembered everything that he wrote.
0: And he suffered a great deal. I will come back to this. He had terrible, terrible kidney stones. Yeah. And and as a result, when he writes about this, I've always told friends of mine who have that affliction they ought to go grab Montaigne, and they'll find out that that, that it's not new. The pain is intense, but at least it's well chronicled. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about essay 26 of friendship, largely because and the education of children, uh, which figures into this. It's essay 28, excuse me, in the first book uh, of friendship with uh, Dr. Paul Ray of Hillsdale. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. We're talking about the essays, the complete essays of Montaigne, the Donald Frame translation. Uh, I think I'm safe on safe ground saying if you go and get this book, you'll thank me. I'll be right back with Dr. Ray. Stay tuned. Twenty-one minutes after the hour, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. That last radio hour of the week, where we raise our eyes to something that is really permanent. And even in a week of new war and a week of worry and Ebola, uh, I'm pretty certain that as long as people are reading, they will be reading the essays of Montaigne, uh, probably in the Donald Frame translation. Doctor Paul Ray is my guest from Hillsdale. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues are available at Hugh 4 Hillsdale dot com. All of Hillsdale's free courses are available at Hillsdale.edu. Uh, a, a paragraph from the first book of his three books of essays, number 28. For the rest, Montaigne writes, what we ordinarily call friends and friendships are nothing but acquaintanceships and familiarities formed by some chance or convenience, by means of which our souls are bound to each other. In the friendship I speak of, our souls mingle and blend with each other so completely that they efface the seam that joined them and cannot find it again. If you press me to tell you why I loved him, I feel that this cannot be expressed, except by answering, because it was he, because it was I. I love that paragraph more than any other paragraph in this book, Professor.
1: I, I can understand. It's, it's, it's high-minded. Uh, you know, he, else, elsewhere in that same essay, he says that uh, it, it's already something if fortune can achieve such a friendship once in three centuries.
0: You see, but that that gives, I was reading your essay, and Madison writes about friendship, Bacon wrote about friendship, uh, Cicero wrote about friendship. Those three writers all thought it was much more important, and something that rare couldn't be that important, right?
1: Well, it could be that important, but not important to most people, because if it can only happen once in three centuries... It's not part of our lives.
0: And do, do you agree with that assessment? Because I don't. I, did not, I, I came to disagree
1: with him on that. Uh, I, yes. Uh, look, I, I, I prefer Aristotle on friendship to Montaigne on friendship. Uh, and Aristotle divides friendship into three kinds. Now, they, practically, they often mix. But friendships of pleasure, the sort that children have based upon playing games, and they last as long as the play goes. Uh, Friendships of utility, the sort that businessmen have, or colleagues in departments uh, have. Uh, And they're ties you have to other people because you do business with them of one sort or another. And then friendships of virtue, uh, which are friendships grounded in some sort of common project. Husband and wife have children. That's a common project. And it really, it binds them together. Or missionaries they have a common project. Or soldiers um, fighting alongside one another have a common project. Or uh, people who would simply enjoy reading and talking with one another have a common project uh, that raises them up, that holds them together. Montaigne has a way of debunking all the friendships except for the perfect friendship, uh, his with La Boecy. Uh, So he'll say you really can't be friends with your parents uh, because of the excessive inequality. He says it might interfere with their natural obligation for all the secret thoughts of the fathers cannot be shared with children for fear of begetting an unbecoming intimacy.
0: He also, um, uh, his friend is dead when he writes this, and he says, since the day I lost him, I only drag on a weary life and the very pleasures that come my way instead of consoling me. Redouble my grief for his loss. That's kind of a dreary assessment. I've always thought that the values of friendship are much more permanent than that.
1: Yes, and the memory, among other things, right, uh, gives would give one enormous pleasure. Um, but you know, his uh, he doesn't think brothers can be friends because of the the, the battles over property. Uh, one of the things that I that I found most striking is that he he, he's, uh, he doesn't think fr- there's friendship in marriage is very likely. Right. Uh, he says, "...apart from being a bargain where only the entrance is free, its duration being fettered and constrained depending on things outside our will, it's a bargain struck for other purposes. Within it, you soon have to unsnarl hundreds of extraneous tangled ends which are enough to break the thread of a living passion and to trouble its course." Thank God that's not my marriage.
0: No, but it's also a spur to people. If it's that good and it provides that much, people are on the lookout for it. I've got to ask you, Dr. Wright, who have been your closest friends in your academic life? And in your, your, the, you know, You've been in a few places. You've taught a number of places. Uh, who comes closest to you uh, to this ideal?
1: Well, uh, there's a fellow in, up in the University of Alaska at Anchorage named James W. Muller. We, we taught together at Franklin and Marshall College uh, back in the last millennium. And um, whenever we go to the APSA, we room together. And whenever we're together, the conversation picks up as if we had been speaking with one another every day. Um, And it's a great joy. He introduced me to Montesquieu, about which I uh, later wrote a book. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah, in fact, Montesquieu and the Logic of. That I've written.
0: Yeah. So so do you correspond when you're not together?
1: Uh, Some. Sometimes we talk on the phone, sometimes we email, or there'll be periods of months when there's no contact at all. And then when there is, it's a joy. And are you the same age? Uh, just about. I think he's two or three years younger than I.
0: And do you think that's a requirement?
1: No. No, 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 no. There's a, there's a young man on the faculty here uh, at, at Hillsdale uh, named Matt Gaetano. whom I had lunch with yesterday. Uh, And, you know, he's, I don't know, 30 years younger than I am. But we're interested in Sir Francis Bacon, which he's giving a lecture on campus uh, Thursday. And uh, it's just a joy to speak with him. He knows so much. And uh, and he's smart.
0: Bacon Uh, also spent time worrying about friendship. Why are all these people worried about friendship?
1: Well... You know, the ancient Bacon's also a debunker of friendship in something like the way that Montaigne is. Uh, these two figures, at least, are very much worried about excessive high-mindedness and the troubles it gets you into about idealism. I mean, Montaigne is a real debunker of idealism.
0: He's a diplomat. He's seen a lot of war and a lot of intrigue.
1: That's right, and he's seen civil war. And he's seen uh, high-minded religious uh, convictions lead to cruelty on, on a scale that's just breathtaking. Something like what's going on in Syria right now. Uh, so he's he wants us tamp it down, and and you know he's in a way a proto-liberal uh, uh, in in the small L sense. Uh, a business culture, a commercial society, is the sort of society that he believes would be least likely to produce civil wars. They produce deals in which we split the difference. They don't produce uh, conflicts of honor where we have to kill one another. Right. Uh, and so the, the attack on, on sort of high-minded friendship... Uh, he says he likes alliances that get hold of him only by one end. Uh, so he, he likes commercial relations. You know, in other words, you have a relation. There's, a, there's probably a restaurant in Los Angeles that you really like, and you go there a lot, and you may know the owner. And he comes out and chats with you every time you come. Well, you have, a, you have an alliance with him, but it gets hold of you only by one end. He wants to keep you as a, uh, uh, someone who comes to his restaurant And you want to eat there.
0: And that makes it stable and uncomplicated. And if it multiplies enough, you end up with a thriving economy and general stability. Dr. Paul Ray is my guest on the Hillsdale Hour. We're talking about the essays of Montaigne, the first essayist, really. Uh, Many have come afterwards. Very few have ever even remotely approached the impact of both his style and his wisdom. More on that when we return. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues are available at HughForHillsdale.com. Stay with us. Thirty four minutes after the hour, America, it's Hugh Hewitt, Dr. Paul Ray of Hillsdale College is my guest in this week's Hillsdale Dialogue. Uh, all of the dialogues available at Hugh for dot com. You should visit Hillsdale dot edu. We're talking about Montaigne. And uh, I had thrown at Kyle Mernon, the fellow who organizes these, my request that we spend one hour on Montaigne. That's my my. Um, interjection into the otherwise scheduled out things, and they gave me Paul Ray, and sure enough, he's an expert. Uh, Here's my second favorite line from the essay, Dr. Ray. The surest sign of wisdom is constant cheerfulness. Uh, That's from the essay on the education of children. He writes a lot, not merely in that essay, but throughout the entire book on how to teach, and and I wonder if it has influenced, Hey, I wonder if you agree with me, I agree with him on the surest sign of wisdom is constant cheerfulness.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, because, you know, you've got to get a perspective on things. Um, things don't always go well. They're up and they're down. And you have to laugh it off uh, if, you're, if you're anxious all the time. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's one of the enemies. That, in fact, that, that, that third essay right at the beginning where I quoted a little snatch, the next thing he says is, is about anxiety. Uh, And if you, you you know, anxiety means that you're living in the future and you're not enjoying things that exist now. You've got to stop and smell the flowers. I, I don't mean people shouldn't work hard. I don't mean they shouldn't save. I don't mean they shouldn't care about the welfare of their children, which points towards the future. But they need somehow to distance themselves from all of the anxieties of the world.
0: You're right. In the second essay, he writes, uh, I am little subject to violent passions. My susceptibility is naturally tough, and I harden it and thicken it every day by force of reason. I once interviewed the Dalai Lama, who said he spends at least a portion of every day imagining his dying.
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, death comes up an awful lot. Yes. In Montana. Now, he knows, you know, uh, he he knows that uh, his health problems are going to get him in the end. Um, uh, but he's 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 reflected on death, uh, and uh, it seems to me he's an Epicurean, which is to say he thinks after death there is nothing.
0: Right. He's not a he's not although formally a Catholic he's not a Catholic.
1: No, 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 no. He, he he's uh, uh, he, he's um, politically a Catholic, and he's a very moderate Catholic uh, for the France of his time. Uh, he, he's very friendly with uh, Henry of Navarre, who becomes Henry IV and gives up Protestantism to, for the throne. Uh, he's very friendly with Catherine de Medici, the Queen Mother, on the other side, uh, and and they they trust him, which is fascinating. That that someone could, you know, in a civil war situation, that someone could be trusted by both sides and be a an intermediary. Uh, Now, he doesn't bring the war to an end. He would love to do that. But it's very striking. You know, he lives with all of these anxieties and these fears, and you don't see them much in the book.
0: Earlier this week, I had on Ambassador Ryan Crocker, who served both Bush and Obama. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan. He served in Syria and Lebanon and in Pakistan. He had nothing bad to say about anyone wanted to go out of his way to say nice things about Kerry and Clinton and Panetta and Rumsfeld and Bush. I mean, it was – he's a diplomat. Diplomats have to do that.
1: Yes. No, that's absolutely right. Uh, And you must think more in business terms, that is to say in negotiating terms, uh, than in terms of high principle. Uh, It is is not a profession – uh, for uh, people who have um, two, who, whose principles are a little bit too high, uh, they, they have to be personally honest, but they've got to be willing to do the deals and the deals are not always pretty.
0: Now, do you consider him he, as, as necessarily a genius? because he put out so much and each one of these is really amazing.
1: Yes. Each one of them is a gem, and you've got to read them multiple times before they begin to get through to you. Uh, They're charming and entertaining uh, the first time and every time after that. But to sort of um, peel the onion, so to speak, and to get to the center of the thing, you've got to watch him play with you. And see where he is taking you, because the beginning of the thing at the end may contradict the beginning. Um, and the topic may not be clear from the title. Oh,
0: amen to that. One more segment with Dr. Paul Ray of Hillsdale College on the Complete Essays of Montaigne. Translated by Donald Frame, that's what we're recommending to you. Don't go anywhere except to hillsdale.edu. Sign up for primus. Or go to www.hughforhillsdale.com hillsdalecom for all of the Hillsdale Dialogues. Stay tuned. Dr. Paul Ray is a member of the faculty at Hillsdale College. Once each week at the last radio hour of the week, I give the hour over to either Dr. Larry Arne or Dr. Paul Ray or one of the members of the faculty at Hillsdale College. The Lantern of the North. And we talk about one of the great books or works or people of Western civilization. Uh, Montaigne, I did not tell you, was born in 1533. He died in 1592. So he is, he's really a great humanist. He precedes Shakespeare. Shakespeare read him. Becomes after Machiavelli, after the world is broken apart. And he's got an interesting place on most bookshelves, but not a lot of people know when or how to teach him, Paul Ray. When do you teach him and to whom? Uh,
1: never. Uh, I've, I've never had the occasion. I did organize at the University of Tulsa, where I used to teach, a book group. I, I did this every every year. And we would pick one book to read, and one year we did Montaigne, and we sort of each week chewed over an essay, uh, which is a wonderful way to do it, by the way. It's it's just perfect for that, because the thing is a, is infinitely interesting, and the next essay you have no idea where, what, where
0: going. you're going next. So let me then ask, as we conclude, you wrote this essay, Don Corleone, Multiculturalist. An essay is... It's not a book, and it's not an article. It's a meditation at some length on a particular subject that doesn't fit well anywhere else. So uh, as an example of what Montaigne invented, what are you doing in Don Corleone, Multiculturalist?
1: Well, I start off with the opening scene of Godfather One in the movie, uh, but it also appears in the book, and I use the book uh, primarily on this, where... Uh, the wedding is taking place, and on the day that a Sicilian's daughter is, gets married, he can deny a favor to no man. And, uh, uh, you know, a man, a mortician, comes to ask a favor of him, but he wants to pay him because the mortician wants to keep him at arm's length the way Montan wants to keep people at arm's length. He wants to have a relationship with the guy who owns the restaurant that he goes to. He wants to know him, but he wants to pay him and not have obligation.
0: Not have obligation being the key.
1: Right. Yeah, and, this, and, and Don Carleone is old school. Uh, you have to say, be my friend, and then uh, if he asks a favor back, uh, you've got to do it. Now, what interests me about that particular thing is I do teach Roman history, um, and uh, I use that to throw light on patronage relations uh, in ancient Rome. And they're very elaborate. I mean, if you do a beneficium for someone, they owe you officium obligations forever, uh, and there is a tie of friendship. And if they come and ask another favor, basically morally, you've got to do it. So it's the opposite. It's the very thing that Montaigne wants to avoid. And what I wanted to do in in um, in the essay is use the movie and 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 the the book Don Corleone to. Cast light on the difference between um, social relations in a commercial culture, such as our own, which is the sort of thing that Montaigne is pointing towards, and uh, social relations in a feudal society or a pre-modern society. And much of the world still operates on the basis of the ethic that is laid out in Don Corleone.
0: Oh, the Sulla, the great dictator of Rome, his... his Tombstone's been translated variously, but my favorite translation is, No friend has ever done me a favor, nor enemy an injury, that I have not repaid in full. That is the essence of the transactional friendship, right?
1: Right. Well, you can see it in uh, Polymarchus in Plato's Republic, in the first book. Uh, He's he's asked, what is justice? And he says, helping your friends. And then Socrates nudges him a bit, and he, he acknowledges, and harming your enemies. Okay, helping your friends and harming your enemies is a theme that runs through all of the plays of Sophocles. Uh, you'll, you'll find it in Xenophon. Um, it is a, a major theme uh, in Greek life and in Roman life. Helping your friends and harming your enemies is what it means to be a good man, uh, a helpful, a useful man. That's exactly what Don Corleone is.
0: And Montan says, no, friendship is much higher than that. There's it's a seamlessness ha- there. There is no giving and taking.
1: Yes, it's much higher than that. And the kind of friendship that, that, that is what we would call patronage, you've got to avoid or you're not free.
0: Okay, so now I've got to ask you this because you're in a position to answer it. You are yourself an essayist, as, as he was. What do you hope to accomplish by an essay?
1: Uh, you, you, the first thing is you've got to charm. And the second thing is you have to carry your reader from the place where your reader happens to be, so that's where the essay has to start somehow or other, to somewhere else where you want to carry them. And But
0: why bother? What be, uh, is, it, is it fame? What is it that Montaigne or Paul Ray is looking for when they write an essay?
1: Uh, well, look, uh, Montaigne is a lot more ambitious than Paul Ray. Uh, Montaigne uh, was looking to change an entire culture. And uh, I think arguably over about three centuries, slowly, gradually, he transformed the way people think about things. Wow. Um, Oh, you make that claim for him? Yes, he's a major figure. He's up there. uh, uh, He works by indirection. So it's not so obvious. It's not, you know, Hobbes is very direct. Montaigne is very... You know, I don't
0: think I've ever, ever, I agree with this, but I don't think, I, for different reasons, I don't think anyone has ever made that claim that I've heard them give him his due.
1: I, I, I think he's, look, everyone read him. And you can, you can, you can trace, and that's part of what I do in the second volume of Republic's Ancient Modern, is trace the manner in which people be, start with Montaigne's position and work out the political, the social, and the economic consequences of the foundations he laid.
0: How interesting. And I think he introduced uh, self-absorption of the best sort. Yeah, A sort of reflection on the morality of your actions so that you would be judged. And clarity, honesty. Rousseau's a big fraud. Montaigne is telling you the real deal, though he may have some stuff hidden for political reasons, but he's, he's very honest with his readers.
1: Yes. Oh, yes. And wonderful to read. Just a pleasure. And you're absolutely right. The place to have him is next to your bed. And to sample him, move in and out of it. And then when you get completely entranced, sit down and read the whole thing. Well, I Preferably think Preferably with your friends.
0: I think I'm going to prod you to do an online course for Hillsdale on Montaigne. Maybe you'll lead to the Montaigne renaissance, Paul Good Ray. Lord. Okay. All right. Be well. Thank you, my friend. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll wrap up this week's Hugh Hewitt Show.